Hello and welcome in to the Sports Radio 810 Chiefs Draft Preview Special. Next three hours here on Sports Radio 810, we're talking about the Chiefs exclusively. I will say that we're going to give a pretty liberal definition to draft talk because it's going to be Chiefs talk in a variety of different avenues. But the draft begins tomorrow. The Chiefs probably won't pick until Friday. They had big news yesterday, really impactful, at least interesting news today as well. So we will go through every element of that over the next three hours here on Sports Radio 810. My name is Joshua Briscoe. I am hosting the show with you this evening. Rita Salazar is across the console. Beards McFly is hitting all the buttons. We also have a ton of guests for you tonight going very heavy Chiefs. Uh, Ryan Tracy of the Locked On Chiefs podcast, also RGR Football. Uh, he is going to be on with us here in about 20 minutes to talk about his big board and also the Frank Clark trade. We'll talk heavy Frank Clark with uh, Seth Kaiser of The Athletic at 8 o'clock. He just came out with a, a Frank Clark film review, so we'll talk to him about all of that. And then Matt Verderam of Fansided, uh, we'll talk to him about the draft, about Frank Clark, and to some extent also about Tyreek Hill. I'm sure that it's it's relatively unlikely that you've gotten into your car, that you're watching us on Facebook Live, where we're at today, by the way, or you are uh, hanging out on Twitter, wherever it is that you're getting the show right now. It's pretty unlikely that you made it this far without getting a loose understanding, at least, of what happened today out at the uh, Johnson County District Attorney's uh, office and, and the press that went press conference that went on today. I'll give you a real quick sort of recap of it, so we can talk about. A few of the main things the uh, the DA spoke and uh, announced that they would not be pressing charges against Tyree Kill or his fiance and the mother of their child, Crystal Espinal, also pregnant with twins right now. But many times over in that conversation and in the presser and in the original statement, the DA did say that he believed uh, that a crime was committed against this three-year-old whose arm was broken, and. Uh, that they simply didn't have enough definitive evidence to prove who committed the crime. That was uh, it's a, it's a that's a bit of a um, simplified sort of phrasing there. I'm giving you the Cliff's notes because the presser went on for something like 20 minutes, but that's the gist of it. And I think that gives us enough information to at least try to have some decently smart conversations. Largely today, it seems like Twitter, uh, as I've interacted with it, hasn't been terribly interested in having reasonable, smart conversations. But again, like, was it Atlas that pushed the rock up the Sisyphus? Like Sisyphus, I continue to try to roll this giant boulder up the uh, up the mountaintop and try to solve some of this conversation for you here so we can have a little bit of a better conversation within this whole world of everything that happened here today. So the one thing that I think we should probably be able to agree on at this point is that as today was not the worst case scenario by by any means, right? It still wasn't good. It certainly wasn't objectively good, and I think think that that for the most part and I've had people on Twitter disagree with this so I'm just going to have to kind of speak around that that subset today today was gross because while it was technically good news for the Chiefs technically good news for for Tyreek Hill it was also the the district attorney saying hey 
there was a crime committed against a child and we will not be able to bring justice to whoever levied out this crime, whoever, whoever committed this act. And that's, that's got to give you a sick feeling regardless of anything else, right? A, a child is harmed, and in the DA's opinion, criminally, the extent of it not not being something the DA would would reveal today, but 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 he believes that a child was was criminally harmed, and that whoever's at fault there will not be brought to justice. That's a, a gross feeling, and without being able to say it explicitly, it seemed very much to me like the the problem for the for the the police was figuring out who was at fault in the, the, the crime and in the abuse against the child being between Tyreek Hill and uh, his fiance and the mother of the child, Crystal Espinal. There was, a, there was a, a question midway through the press where someone essentially asked, is the problem that you don't know which person did it between the two or something like that? And, and the DA, um, while later re uh, rejecting a, a chance to comment on if anyone else was under investigation, in this moment, he said... I think maybe maybe he slipped up a little bit, and it seemed like he was very much referring to simply two people being Hill and Espinal as the people under investigation here, under the microscope. Somebody, several people actually ended up tweeting this. This isn't my original thought, and it's a simplification, but we, we may have to try to find some simplifications for a conversation that has so many moving parts and can be so complicated. They They said that in this story, you either look at Tyreek Hill and and the mother of their child as either the perpetrators or as someone that helped defend whoever it was that committed this act of violence against their child. And either way, that's awful. Someone being violent to a child and not being reprimanded is awful without even having to recognize who the, the, the person was. That's pretty easy, and I don't think that being a sports fan, or being, in this case, a Chiefs fan, means you have to discard your right to be empathetic, especially to be empathetic to a child. And, and many times over again, the DA talked about direct danger to the child and the child now being safe and, and worries about being safe in that household that household is is Tyree Kills and 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 his his uh, fiancés. A, a kid needing to be taken out of that environment is not a good sign. So he wasn't charged. It also hardly felt as if this should be a day for celebration for Hill, his fiance, for Chiefs fans. I think if you want to be a Chiefs fan before you're a human being, you can do whatever you want, and I have no place to tell you that what I, you know, the, the reaction you have might be off-putting to me. But if you can, if you can reserve your right for empathy and concern for a child, you can look at the big picture of this story. And see the places where it feels like the legal system failed the child? Where something bad happened and there were no repercussions, either to the people that, that created the situation or that hit it? 
I think it's fair to, to ask if someone else that wasn't one of the parents hurt this child, wouldn't the parents team up to tell law enforcement as much? If someone else hurt your child, wouldn't you want to bring justice to them? I think if if you want to put on blinders and there have been the, the, the tweets have been never ending. Um, if you want to put on the blinders, especially to, um, especially to the extent that you can just, uh, take what you want and you can make your definition of good or bad or innocent or guilty as easy as simply the legal definition, you're probably having a better day than I am. But in, in reality, legally being innocent or guilty is not the end of all of these conversations. It never has been. Um, I'm seeing here there's a statement from the Chiefs out on the uh, uh, on the internet, a statement from the Kansas City Chiefs on receiver Tyreek Hill, quote, This afternoon we were informed that Tyreek Hill will not be charged by the Johnson County District Attorney's Office due to the continued investigation by the Department for Children and Families. We will have no further comment at this time. By the way, the DCF is still looking into things here. It seems like they're probably clear on the uh, jail time front. But whenever you're looking at the future of this child, that's still very much an active concern to the state, as it seems imminently reasonable to be. A friend of mine just tweeted and stated that OJ was cleared. That's also true, I suppose. I hadn't, I hadn't really put it in those terms. Earlier over on ESPN Kansas City, we were talking about this, and I mentioned, you know how difficult it is like to prove collusion, right? We had this conversation around Colin Kaepernick, where, where I, I would argue that the NFL had pretty much all agreed. Owners, maybe individually, had agreed, like, yo, we're not going to deal with this guy being on our team. It's too much of a headache. But he couldn't prove, like, literal collusion, Right? It's because meeting the legal definition of a thing is really difficult. The the DA said many times today, at least twice, because it was really striking to me. It's true, but it was striking to hear someone say it out loud. He says that, that one of the one of the crux one one of the, the the main elements of the American justice system is that it's better to let a guilty person go free than to incarcerate an innocent person. And uh, again, that's. I, I cognitively know that to be true, but I haven't thought about it quite in those terms before. And hearing it in this context, I thought was was really interesting. And people talk about the innocent until proven guilty thing. In fact, this came up while we were doing shows whenever the original report broke. That came on right before I started a show, and I was on for three hours after that, just saying the same stuff over and over again with Hill and and what we do and don't know. And people were jumping to say, um, you know, oh, don't don't declare this man guilty in the court of public opinion. Public opinion and the legal courts function really differently. He he wasn't he or his fiance. No one involving their child was proven guilty in court. No one's even going to court. No one's even being charged for any of this. 
And I would say that's the that's probably the right call. If they didn't have enough evidence to prove someone guilty, then they should be treated in a legal sense as innocent. But I'm a human being with thoughts and and considerations for lots of levels here with with a, a mind that can hold complex issues in, in multiple ways and, and I know we are all capable of that and that's the thing that disappoints me more often than anything else in these situations it was I mean I mentioned Kaepernick earlier for the collusion thing but like the OG Kaepernick story all the way through anything controversial we talk about Russia and elections you can find anything and if it's if it's a conversation more complex than an episode of Dora the Explorer, you are going to have to hold a, a lot of different thoughts in your head at the same time. You, and you're allowed to do that. You can say, I feel 20% this way, 40% this way, 20% this way, 20% this way. You can have some cognitive dissonance. If you acknowledge it, I, I don't think it's so bad. If you can acknowledge that there are going to be conflicts in your knee-jerk reactions to something, in your later reactions to something, in your reactions in a month, I think that just makes you human. But if you're going to forever ride as the word of the law is all that matters to me, he's not charged, I'm putting my jersey back on, I just don't know how much we can relate in that regard. And I, I want to be careful to not be, like, preachy about it. Like, I know... I, I, it doesn't have... This isn't about your education or, or, you know, if you enjoy thinking about difficult topics or whatever. I think it's probably mostly about your experiences. Where whenever you begin having experiences that make you think about things in a complex and difficult way, you start to realize, oh, you know what? There are lots of sides to this, and I don't have to be on one of them. You're allowed to see the nuance in some things here. I acknowledge that uh, that Tyree Kill is not being charged with a crime. I personally believe that uh, with with the information we have today, that he has some amount of culpability in the situation as a whole, but it's really hard to pick out what that would be. I, I don't know if that would be violence from him, if that would be covering up someone else's, if it was an accident that he didn't cop to, whatever it is, right? He's in the middle of this case. It's his child. And being silent there is, again, you're protected by that Fifth Amendment right, but I'm going to ask, what are you being silent for whenever somebody hurt your kid? But this radio show is not legally binding to, to Tyreek Hill's freedom in future. I'm trying to understand as much of this as I can, as best as I can. And I've run into a lot of people today that are trying to do the same thing. And for you, I appreciate I appreciate you and your willingness to wrestle with the complications of, of everything happening here. And if you are going to proclaim that the only thing that matters is if someone is a free person or not, just straight up in jail or not in jail, 
I can't operate that way, and I don't. I don't really want to. I think life's more complicated than that. I th- and I and I think today everything today, which likely results in Tyreek Hill being a chief in 2019, maybe a suspension from the NFL. Hard to tell because the NFL is pretty random about it. I would lean towards saying that he probably does get suspended because the NFL doesn't need a conviction to suspend someone. It's the, just the truth of it. Kareem Hunt was never charged with anything, but the video got out. I just think that today has to... I, I don't think today can feel victorious. I think it's got to feel kind of gross. Because whatever happened in the original incidents that there were police reports from without much information, and with the press conference today... At the core of it, a child was hurt, and whoever hurt that child isn't isn't paying the the legal price for it. And I think for the most part, we want justice. And I think that we certainly at least would like to say that we want justice in the instance of a, of a child being hurt. I don't think it's that difficult to, to have that in your head even if you're a Chiefs fan that's glad that Tyreek Hill is going to keep playing football for your team. If you're a Chiefs fan that wishes he was gone already, wishes that the Chiefs would cut him, I understand that also. But you can you can have thought A and still hold a variety of other thoughts as thought B. That's where I'm at today. Um, and, and someone on Twitter asked, someone who's kind of in the camp of like, how do they, the question was, how do they even keep him at this point? How could you even hold on to this guy? Which I'm not sure is the place that I'm at, to be honest. But in response, I've, I've talked about one side of it. Someone's saying, how do you even keep this guy at this point? I think the short answer is that you do the statement they put out just a minute ago. You defer to law enforcement. Don't have any evidence that's your own. And we're just going to not say anything because there's an ongoing investigation until the investigation is no longer ongoing. And then we're going to say we defer to the law. Because the Chiefs are going to try to operate the way that like half my, my Twitter mentioned trying to operate, which is just like, don't make me think about this! Don't make me think! I'll just take what the law says. And then eventually you just stop taking questions after it. You don't make them available to the media. It's pretty much what they did whenever they drafted Tyreek Hill. You just kind of go through that act again. So, there's the opening statements on that. I'm sure it'll pop up again throughout the show tonight. Uh, we're going to take a break. Whenever we come back, we're going to go pretty draft heavy with Ryan, uh, with, uh, with, I always, I always want to call him Ryan Clark because his podcast is locked on Chiefs with Ryan Tracy and Chris Clark. Right. Am I good on that? I think I nailed that. Rudy, Rudy nodded There is me. a, and, and there is a Ryan Clark actually. That's a good point. Maybe that's why I do it. It's a combination yeah. of all of those things. I know a couple of Ryan Clarks. There's a Ryan Clark who works for the athletic. Oh, really? There is. I didn't even know that. Yeah. Anyway, Ryan Tracy. Oh, every time I get nervous on his last name, Ryan Tracy of Locked On Chiefs will join us whenever we come back. It's the Sports Radio 810 Chiefs Draft Special here on 810. My name's Josh Briscoe. That was Rita Salazar. Beers McFly's on the other side of the glass. We'll go into Ryan's big board and talk a little bit about Frank Clark whenever we come back here on Sports Radio 810. The most powerful sports station in America has a home in Kansas City. This is Sports Radio 810 WHB. Welcome again to the Sports Radio 10 Chiefs Draft Special. My name is Josh Briscoe. Rhys Salazar is across the console. Beers McFly is across the glass. 
Uh, we'll take some questions on the Sports Radio 10 Facebook page here in a little bit. Um, hopefully, eventually, also the audio sounds better. But we don't know how to do that yet. Because it used to be better, and then it broke, and now it's still broken. So we'll cross that bridge uh, whenever we get there. Beards, Rudy, fix it. You can do that, right? I can just yell at you and have you do it. Is that accurate? It'll, yeah, it'll just magically happen. I think that's <laughs> okay, actually perfect. how you fix it. You just yell loud enough. At least, can you guys either complain to the right people or um, just sort of amplify my complaints? Yeah. I'm complaining about our audio on Facebook. But thanks, everyone, watching on the Facebook Live, uh, facebook.com slash sportsradio. Tim, we'll take some questions in a little bit. But first up is Ryan Tracy of the Locked On Chiefs podcast. You can follow him on Twitter at Ryan Tracy NFL. You can also check out the RGR YouTube channel. Ryan, slow couple of news days here leading up to the draft. Are you bored? Oh, yeah. I had to wake up from a nap. <laughs> um, we have a thousand directions we can go. Uh, I don't know if you've got anything on the Tyreek Hill discussion from today. I don't know if you have if that affects anything for you in the interim. So let's we'll just kind of go order of uh, of newsiness. Anything on the Tyreek Hill front that you wanted to, to to talk about here tonight? You know, just the fact that uh, it seems settled for now. I don't have much reaction yet because the NFL is still a cloud out there. We don't mm-hmm. know what they're going to do or how they're going to take things. So. I think I'll, I'll look to address this probably with Seth on the Locked on Chiefs podcast uh, when we actually know what happens or we get closer yeah. to a decision from the league. That's totally fair. And it also allows us to talk about the thing that we actually have more information on. Um, I want to get to your big board here in a little bit and talk very specifically about the draft. But the Chiefs have essentially just sort of tapped out of the first round because they traded that first round pick uh, next year's second, swapped to third. And uh, they get Frank Clark from the Seattle Seahawks. They pay him DeMarcus Lawrence-type money and make this huge splash, this huge acquisition that I would argue really transforms their defense, even if it's not exactly my favorite place to put these investments. We can, I'll talk about where I'm at with it later. What was your first reaction whenever you saw the trade, the terms, and the money? You know, I, I think it's a good fit. First and foremost, that's what it is. He gets on the field in a way that the Chiefs want, that fits the Spagnolo plan, clearly. And from what we've heard from some of the great reporters who've gotten inside sources, they clearly see him as one of the top three pass rushers in the league. Mm-hmm. So what they paid him is not out of this world compared to how they see him. And whatever they grade upon, however that system is, uh, he's justified in that contract. Uh, it was known that they were, they were in on the, the uh, Lawrence trade rumors at a time so they clearly felt that spending the money at the position wasn't a problem um you know i said the day before it happened that i was good with giving up two twos Mm -hmm. uh, but i probably wouldn't have given up the 29th myself um but you know that's at that point the value is what the market will will bear and if that's what they had to do to get their guy i think now they feel like they have a bigger field that they can address their other issues in the draft and come out at the end of all this with the team they can put on the field that can support Pat Mahomes. What were your reservations, or, or what would it have been that got between two twos and a one and a two in your mind? You know, really, it's just the, the qualitative comparison to other players. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you, you trade quarterbacks for two twos. Mm-hmm. We've seen that happen recently. Right. Uh, and so. I don't see, while he has been, Frank Clark has been very much more steady in his production in Seattle 
than we saw in D Ford in the same time span. Mm-hmm. I don't know that you can say that he is uh, a guy that can take on and be so much production and such a force that he can outcompensate a quarterback that touches the ball every play. So, sure. And that's just, you know, it, it's not a, a huge gap, but it is a little bit of a gap to me. And I think, uh, again, that's what they had to do to get their guy. And I, I think all that's totally fair. In fact, I'm probably in lockstep with you on the, for the most part. One thing, though, as I've gone from like, oh, God, that's a lot, over to like, why was it so much <laughs> that they gave up for Frank Clark? The dude is... He is a multi-tool player. Like, I've used this analogy already, but, like, to say that, you know, whenever in baseball, guys, you talk about pitchers having, like, five different pitches. Like, oh, man, the versatility on this guy. It seems like Frank Clark's got five different pitches because his, I mean, just every element of being an edge rusher, he's got it. You can watch five, just five random clips, and you might see him put out five different moves. And that, to me, jumped off the screen. Yeah, I won't argue with you at all. I think... Not only is Steve Spagnuolo pretty happy right now, mm-hmm. but I think Daly's mouth is pretty much watering with what <laughs> he can do scheme-wise, right. uh, how he can move him around, who he can jump in, where. And, you know, the other guys that they brought in through this season are going to be the complement to that because yeah. when he moves, they're, they're going to have to move someone else around too. And I think they went about signing free agents that will complement Frank Clark. Hmm. That's interesting because you're right. We, we did see them essentially sign a lot of guys with similar types. Um, but Frank Clark is clearly the crown jewel of the edges, and I mean he can compete with Chris Jones for being the brightest crown jewel, which I think is you know that's that's a good place the Chiefs are at right now. Um, with that in mind, though, they have invested a lot in this defensive front, and, and we've talked a little bit. I've talked with the aforementioned Seth Kaiser. In fact, we'll talk to him in thirty minutes right here uh, a lot this offseason about the idea of just investing a lot of money in your secondary and and doing that kind of Patriots model, not paying through the nose for an edge rusher. Um, were you buying into that philosophy, at least as an option of something the Chiefs could do, maybe should do? And does that give you any pause with the way that they've actually just ended up giving all this money to Clark and will probably soon give a bunch of money to Chris Jones? You know, I was I was starting to feel a little bit trepidatious that that was the road they were going down because mm-hmm. Seth has looked at that. Uh, Chris, our other co-host on Locked on Chiefs, has looked at that and, and felt that that's the direction to go. But at the end of the day, you have to be aggressive in order to produce the, the opportunity for turnovers in the secondary, right? Mm-hmm. You have to move quarterbacks off their spot. You have to get in their face. You have to confound people. And so I am one that I think investment in the front four is important. Now, what, what you're going to wrap up in Clark and Jones together might be a little bit over the top, but we're going to have to see how that all comes out. Also, the ability of those guys to play beside each other is really exciting to me as well. Because again, looking at just a little bit of Clark tape, I'm not I'm not grinding through film like uh, like the best of you, but uh, seeing a little bit of just what he was doing in terms of stunts and stuff. The idea of Clark and Jones being able to work together that way also helps sort of calm my nerves a little bit because. One thing that I was starting to get a little bit more concerned about is whenever you're playing uh, against Tom Brady in the AFC Championship game, you can have D. Ford shot out of a cannon, but by the time he gets to Tom Brady, even if it's super efficient around that edge, it's usually too late. Julian Edelman has the ball in his hands 11 yards downfield by the time D. Ford actually gets home. But part of that is, I'm sure, an indictment on Bob Sutton. So you mentioned how he fits in Spagnuolo's defense. What do you want to see from Clark and Jones and, and Okafor and maybe Derek Nadi in that four-man front that, that, that Spagnuolo can use to get pressure up the middle and, and to wreak the most havoc on guys like Brady? 
you know, I want to see them use their skill sets from various angles. See them flip those guys. They're going to stunt a ton, but it's not just going to be the loops. It, you're going to see some inside-out moves. You're going to see some things that let – I am especially intrigued by Agba inside with his length and his levers, mm. what he can do there. But I will say this, too. I think that all sets up for helping the blitz game as well because they made it clear in the announcement that they consider Reggie Ragland still to be a – a contender on this defense yeah. and i'll tell you my favorite thing about reggie raglan is he can blitz those a gaps and that is a way to get to tom brady and any other quarterback and that's the that's the evolution that seems so obvious to me um that again paying an edge rusher made me a little bit wary but then you realize the fact that i'm sure spagnolo is on a similar page it, it it improves my confidence a lot um, so with all of that being said, let's look at the draft coming up this weekend. Again, probably not going to make a pick on Thursday. Um, first of all, let's talk about what was at, at 29. What was the the main target? Was it going to be an edge rusher in your mind? Uh, did they saw that with Frank Clark? Are you now afraid of, of a larger gap being somewhere else as they move out of the first round? I don't think edge rusher was going to be their target. I think they clearly wanted to get an experienced NFL-savvy edge rusher before the draft. Because when you look at who's going to be available there, I don't think they're as highly touted as a lot of the national media puts them out to be. I think they all have flaws. I was thinking if they needed to get an edge there at 29, the hope would be that Cleveland Farrell would be the guy that fell. Right. Because when you look at Sweat, Rashawn Gary, uh, Brian Burns is a 3-4 OLB, not a DN. Mm-hmm. Even Josh Allen, they all have some warts. They, they're not a complete guy in any respect. So I think they felt like overall for what they needed, this class didn't really have it to offer at the, the top echelon of talent. So I think Edge was not in their plans, and I think they were looking at the secondary with the two corners and the one safety that I had on the first round. Yeah, so I'm looking at your big board right now, and you can get this yourself. You, you can just go to the uh, to Twitter account, um, Ryan Tracy NFL on Twitter, or you can check out at Chiefs Digest. It's on there, the, the website, uh, by our friend Matt Derrick. You can hop over to, to Chiefs Digest and uh, find Ryan's post that includes the big board. It's really nice. I, I, I Whenever I first saw it, I was impressed because – I just love a well-designed thing, period, uh, and this is one. So good work on the uh, on the layout here, Ryan. I'm a big fan. But looking at the the well, defensive, look at the defensive backs in that uh, that first tier. I also imagine that these numbers don't all add up completely perfectly because the draft isn't quite that clean. In your first round grades, you had Byron Murphy, Greedy Williams, and Nasir Adderley. Those guys are not going to to be in play for the Chiefs, I'd imagine. Um, what is the first tier that you think they could perhaps trade back up to if they wanted to use those two twos to make one move? Well, you know, the, the pick that I was aiming for was either 22 or 19 because I think of the other teams picking at 20 and 23, the Steelers in particular, are going to be looking at those corners. Mm. Uh, and if you can get up there with that capital, I think that's what you would be trying to do. I, you know, I hear conflicting reports about Nasir Adderley. I think he could fall all the way to 29, especially if some of the other corners that are rumored to be trying to peek into that top 32 get there. Right. Uh, you might see him actually available. So, But those, to me, are the only three that are really viable. Again, there's just not a, a completely well-rounded game by any of the others. And so now whenever you're looking at starting from the 60s, and maybe, I mean, two two picks in, in the 60s if you'd like them, 
I, I know that I'm saying, like, hey, simulate 59 or so picks and then let me know how the board's falling. But with the way that the Chiefs, I would argue, have a pretty large need at corner and safety, would you be more partial to letting the board follow them and looking at DBs in those two picks in the second? Or do you think that they're going to try to move up and isolate one of these guys a little bit higher? Me personally, I would let the board fall Mm -hmm. because I don't personally see another safety on this roster currently that can play the deep field and let Tyron Matthew be the robber and get close to the line of scrimmage and try to be a playmaker. Um, Now, I don't know that the Chiefs agree with me, and they may feel that if they can get one more guy, whether it be the corner or the safety, and they can get up into the, the low 40s, that maybe they can get their guy and feel like they are solid across the board. Um, but I would like to see him take two. I would too, and I don't know how much you subscribe to the idea that the the NFL draft is is in large part a crapshoot. I've seen people talk about that. I've seen other people rage against it and say, "Oh, it's a science." I would argue that's probably a little bit of both. Um, but now they've also spent a couple of draft picks they won't have because they go get Frank Clark. Do you have a philosophy in general in, in that regard? I lean towards the science. I think the draft is is probably 80% work and science, and there's just there's a wild card factor. Hmm. Um, I don't I don't disbelieve that the Chiefs did their homework mm-hmm. or that the scouts did a poor job in scouting Kavari Russell. I, yeah. I feel like somebody somebody named Dorsey took a chance because he had a feeling and he was wrong. Right. But the body of work was there and the the research was there, and and sometimes especially because. We don't know what goes on in meeting rooms, and we don't know the metal makeup and whether somebody actually fits what you're trying to to get him to do, to push him to do. And these are 22-year-old kids, so there's a certain margin of error that you have to bake in. Kavari Russell may be the definitive name of, like, figuring out how long people have been, like, Chiefs nerds, like, in the market or whatever. I know it doesn't go very far back, but Kavari Russell, like, I haven't thought about his name in, like, a year and a half, and you gave me PTSD. I got flashbacks right then. Oh, I'm sorry, man. No, you're, you sh- no, you're not. You're not. You're glad you could pull Kavari Russell out of the air and, and haunt me with it. Stupid. That's stupid. We're talking to Ryan Tracy. One. I guarantee it somewhere. Say again. <laughs> there'll, there'll be another one somewhere. Oh. Watch Cleveland's draft. <laughs> We're talking to Ryan Tracy. He's at Ryan Tracy NFL on Twitter. You can listen to the Locked On Chiefs podcast. Um, so among these these DBs, because I, I do want to fan out to the other guys that you think maybe the Chiefs end up finding a spot for. But again, we're, we're now looking basically two full rounds into the draft before the Chiefs are currently slotted to make a pick. Of the of the guys in this second-round tier, who is it that you would sort of circle um, at corner or safety or both? Do you say, oh, this is the name that I really hope we see fall to them and, and I think has a real chance of getting there? You know, there's a number. Um, I think most of the ones that I was – was hoping were going to be the best fits probably won't be there. I think they're going to be early, you know, in the thirties. I don't think they're going to get to 40, like Darnell Savage, mm-hmm. uh, maybe one Thornhill. Um, you might have a chance at Gardner Johnson if you get up into the forties. Um, but I think honestly, the one guy at safety that I think the chiefs like that I, I love the way he plays. And I think he did them a service by running a terrible 40 mm-hmm. in his pro day. Mm-hmm. If Taylor Rapp actually drops all the way to the bottom of the second, I think the Chiefs run up there kicking and screaming because 
the guy is a playmaker on the field. He fits their mentality. Maybe he's not the fastest player, but he, they're going to plug him in and love the way he plays. So help me understand, how would Taylor Rapp fit into this defense? What would that do for Tyron Matthew? How does it free him up to do what he does best? You know, it would let him roam. It would let him not have to play all the way into the box. It would let them have somebody they can blitz with, they can play the intermediate zones, and Matthew would be a true roamer at that point. Um, I think it would put a little more pressure on him to be playing deep when they're only in two safety sets, but I think this team is going to continue, despite the, the D.C. change, to roll out three safeties for a significant portion of their snaps. That's interesting. I haven't thought about that. You're, you're probably right. But the, the safety depth chart right now might be my least favorite depth chart on the team. Now that I, whenever I kind of think about it in those terms, is that true for you as well? Am I missing somebody? Or do you have a secret love of uh, Dan Sorensen that you want to share with me? Not even a secret love. Oh, you definitely don't listen to the show. Um, <laughs> no, no I, yeah, I, 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 I said secret. You- I said secret love, and I went, "Oh, that's that's the wrong." Go ahead. <laughs> um, I, I think I think especially if Taylor Rapp were available and they're able to sign him, I think Dan Sorens is completely expendable. Um, I think the one thing that is redeeming for him in this scheme is he. I like him best as a strong safety, not a nickel linebacker specifically, mm-hmm. but a guy that can blitz. And I think. Steve Spagnuolo is going to recognize that as well. And Steve likes to send safety blitzes, so I think that's a feather in Sorensen's cap. But my bigger thing is I think it's full of question marks at who can play free safety. I don't feel that Lucas is a great fit back there. Mm -hmm. I think, again, he's better closer to the line of scrimmage. And I just don't think we've seen enough out of Armani Watts to feel one way or the other about where exactly is the best fit for him. Uh, And he needs this season, I think, to kind of develop and find his own space. Do people, this is kind of tangential, do people yell at you about Armani Watts? Because I feel like every time I say, like, hey, I'm not totally sold on Armani Watts, he's played like three games and then he got hurt, I, I get a horde of people on Twitter running at me with torches and pitchforks asking how dare I disrespect their god Armani Watts. Flamethrower. <laughs> That's what I get. Why is that? Because they they want him to be good. They want him to be the pick that came from the later rounds yeah. that proved everybody wrong and made it and was an impact player. I, and he's got some traits that are, that are really leaning towards that. You know, he can make plays on the ball. He's instinctual. Uh, they're longing for the days of Jerron Cherry and, and James Hasty. At least I am. Right. That's I think I think that's the right answer. Okay, so let's get out of the defensive backfield. Um, I don't personally have any strong feelings about the linebacker group in this draft or the linebacker group currently on the team. I, I, I'm hesitant to, to want the Chiefs to invest more in that position group at the moment. Is there anybody there that you would want to uh, fight me on? I, I don't know that I want to fight you, but I will say this. For the modern age, for the modern nickel linebacker type, a guy that can play, stay on the field for, for three downs mm-hmm. because of his athleticism, there's a, there's – a sneaky high volume of those guys in this draft. Hmm. Okay. I mean, a second day, I can name four or five of them right now, and I think Mac Wilson will be a second-day guy. Um, but Drew Tranquil's underrated, Vachon Joseph. Bobby Okarike can actually move a whole lot better than he looks on film. And this this wild card of Jelani Tavai out of Hawaii is going to be an interesting one, too. Guys that play a lot of coverage and are comfortable there. And if they can be instinctual and, and learn to defend the run, I think there's plenty of options, and there's even quite a few on day three as well. 
All right, I don't mind that at all. I can buy all that. What I do want to talk about, though, is the pass catchers. We, we talked not very long ago. We haven't talked about it over on uh, on this side of the glass recently, and this is Chiefs draft special, so we're going to get into the weeds. I uh, want to see I want to see the Chiefs add a tight end. I've wanted that for a while anyway. Um, I think not only could they improve on Demetrius Harris, he's now gone. Chris Conley, now gone. Tyreek Hill is a huge question mark on a variety of levels still. Does the NFL suspend him? Is he a chief at all? Uh, we just simply don't know. So I think at the very least, those are really uh, reasonable conversations to be having. Could you see the Chiefs going to either of those positions with one of those late second-round picks? Possibly, yeah. I think it all depends on what they grade and what they're emphasizing and what they're looking for. You know, a lot of folks are high on some of the more – um, body beautiful big receivers that don't get a lot of separation and mm-hmm. are you know contested catch guys. Uh, I don't think that's what the Chiefs are looking for. I don't I don't think they want to throw into tight windows if they don't have to. I think they want guys that can use their their short area quickness and run away from people. So I I think that you're totally right. I think that's been Andy Reid's model for a little bit now at least, and especially when you're looking for value guys. Um, what are a couple of those names that you would say are at the top of that list that maybe you could scoop up in the second, third, or fourth rounds? The second, the top of, I'm looking for Paris Campbell, who I think is probably the most underrated because of the way he was used in college, but he can be a deep threat as well as a, a crosser type guy. Uh, very athletic, plays special teams, a, a big boon. He's at the top of my second day list. Um, followed by Debo Samuel, who's had a little injury thing, has a little attitude thing, has a couple of hiccups, but is a very productive player, can separate, especially out of the slot. And I like a lot of what he does. Um, sneakily, Miles Boykin's a big guy who can separate as well. Hmm. He doesn't quite carry downfield as well as you would like, but I think especially in that, you know, I, I don't want to call it a possession receiver because it has a negative connotation, but right. a guy that can break free underneath, I think he's somebody to look at. Terry McLaurin, I think he can be scary, but I want to see more consistency out of him. Nicole Hardman is a guy that is a, a day two like long shot for me that I think someone may grab earlier, but he's got a lot of athleticism. And then there's still a few guys there that are going to be left on day three, like all the way down to Keyshawn Johnson, Gary Jennings. Um, I think Jalen Hurd's really intriguing, and uh, everybody's draft darling Andy Isabella I think will go day three. Okay, last thing before I let you go and get these commercials in. Uh, the tight end group is interesting because I've heard the talk about these Iowa guys forever now. You don't have either of them as a first-round grade, and, and even outside of that, they're, they're your only second-round graded guys at the tight end position. What do you make of, of the tight end position group and what the Chiefs could do there? You know, I, I do think they are the two best, but I, I just don't value tight end as a, a day one kind of position Mm -hmm. they would have to be an athlete beyond what either of them are and fan is a very good athlete um he's not near as well rounded as hawkinson so i i I can see hawkinson going first but i think there are guys that are productive and still sneakily uh within the top five or seven in terms of athleticism that you can have in the third round maybe even the fourth round um particularly in sternberger out of uh texas a&m who can stretch that seam pretty well. I don't know about his lateral agility that I want to ask him to do whip routes or anything, but mm-hmm. um, Irv Smith has got a lot of tout. He's not my favorite, but I can see where they're, what they're seeing. Uh, personally, my favorite is Foster Moreau out of LSU. I think he does a little bit of everything. Team captain, he blocks, he catches, he's solid, uh, low drop rate. Uh, and then a couple of guys on, on day three, uh, Josh Oliver has a lot of athleticism, but is still – learning to, to play the role of uh, Kali Waring. 
Uh, and then my guy Drew Sample out of the University of Washington as well uh, blocks the snot out of people and just wasn't thrown to in college. He went to the Senior Bowl and everybody had to kind of peek their heads up like Groundhog Day and say, well, <laughs> since when does he catch? <laughs> Ryan, I appreciate it. If you want to get more information from Ryan throughout the draft, you should go at Ryan Tracy NFL. On Twitter, you can also listen to Locked On Chiefs podcast. And also right now out, The Athletic Matrix, all these draft prospects, uh, Ryan went through and broke them down on an athletic level. You can get the more information on that. It's his pinned tweet at the moment, at Ryan Tracy NFL on Twitter, plus RGR on YouTube. You can see some of his work on Chiefs Digest, including his big board up there. Have I missed anything? Have you have you put out any more content in the last 30 seconds? No. I just had to take a breath. <laughs> Thank you, Ryan. Thank you. Have a great one. You too. Ryan Tracy, at Ryan Tracy NFL on Twitter. One of our favorites around here, always doing incredible work in a bunch of incredible different places. Um, I'm sure we'll hear from him again pretty soon after the draft. I don't know, man. We might bleep around and call him during draft coverage and just be like, hey, man, they just took some guy I've never heard of in the sixth round. You got something for me? And he probably will. This is the Sports Radio 810 Chiefs draft special here on Sports Radio 810. It's redundant. I know. It's fine. I'm Joshua Briscoe hosting for you for the evening. And whenever we come back, we'll talk more Chiefs stuff because that's the whole show. We're doing that till 10 o'clock. So buckle up. Kansas City's hometown sports station. Sports Radio 810 WHB. You can keep singing if you want, Rudy. I was wishing. Like, whoosh. Welcome back to the Sports Radio 810 Draft Special, Chiefs Draft Special on Sports Radio 810. I'm Josh Briscoe, Sports Radio 810. Rudy Salazar is Sports Radio 8 swishing. Bruce McFly is Sports Radio 8 button pushing. Press, press. Uh, we are on Facebook Live for the show tonight. It's uh, also been, you know, not sounding good. So It's been a thing. But we are also on good old-fashioned terrestrial radio, of course, and we'll uh, put up the podcast at Sports Radio 810's website at 810WHB or on the Sports, uh, Sports Radio 810 mobile app, all available at all those places. So uh, we're everywhere you could ever uh, want us and probably more places than you would want us. Um, there were a couple of things in the comment section that I wanted to touch on briefly. Like, there's a comment from Andrew regarding the Tyreek Hill stuff. He says, maybe Tyreek's protecting his girl. Maybe he fell down the stairs and looks like abuse, but nobody would believe him. You never know. I agree that he's probably lost all benefit of the doubt with his past, but you never know. It just, that whole thing feels like we would rather just, we would rather invent the most unlikely of scenarios and, and try to believe those rather than potentially come to terms with the idea that maybe a guy we want to all be good did a bad thing. Like, I... I he, he's not being charged with a crime. And we are still finding it more believable that perhaps it's all some grand cover-up because the kid fell off of a set of monkey bars. I Also, I don't think... Kid falling off the monkey bars, down the stairs, off the bed, whatever. I don't think that going silence to police is is going to be the smartest thing in that regard. I also don't think that that would have been such a difficult story to tell, truthfully. I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Ricky asked, uh, the Hunt video is some proof that would warrant missing games. He's suspended for eight. No evidence on Hill, so how can he make a missed game? Says kid could have just fell down the stairs. I remember the fell down the stairs thing. Seriously? Okay. Um, 
the, there doesn't need to, be, need to be legal precedent for someone to get suspended. Rudy mentioned this last segment that Ezekiel Elliott got eight games. Yeah, eight games reduced to six. And there was never, that was, was a huge fight, and there wasn't actual evidence. There was never a charge. There's no charges. Yeah. Adrian Peterson, we don't, I don't remember what exactly went down. Although that was a child abuse thing. Where Peterson was like, yeah, I hit him with a switch because like, he was being a brat or whatever. Mm-hmm. Which, like, again, I think is kind of buck wild, but whatever. That's neither here nor there for the time being. Um, the NFL doesn't need le- the legal definition of guilt to suspend someone. That's simply true. Yeah. If they believe that it, it is that you are hurting the, the, the image of the NFL, that's that's all they need. And that's a weak that's standard. We've very, seen that many yes. times over. Also, Robert Kraft's not getting very suspended. Very inconsistent which is, standard. It's, yes. it's a very strange, very inconsistent standard. Um, but it's true. That is the factual nature of it. And uh, you can fight with it if you want, but you can call Roger Goodell. Don't at me. We're going Frank Clark super heavy with Seth Kaiser of The Athletic. That's next. The official broadcast partner of your AFC West champion, Kansas City Chiefs. Sports Radio 810 WHB.